Good morning, folks. Welcome to Cornerstone. My name's Steve. I'm one of the leaders. It is great to have you with us. If you're here for the first time, a big, big, warm welcome to you. And you actually join us at a great time because every September what we do, uh, I think Michael mentioned this at the beginning, we walk through the values of our church. That we are a church that is gospel-centered. That The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ is central to all that we are and central to everything that we do. That the gospel is not just something that you respond to and then you move on to other things that actually... It, it, it reveals to us the wonderful grace of God that we need every single day, every single day. So we're gospel-centered. We're marked by grace. So actually, that grace that we've received in and through the gospel of Jesus is something that marks us as people, as individuals, and collectively as a communion. And actually, in light of Romans 15, 7, to welcome people as Christ has welcomed us is a mark of, of being marked by the grace of God. We are who we are. We do what we do, all because of him. And what he's done for us. There's not a person in this room that walks in here like the Fonz, thinking he is God's gift to God. All of us walk in here as people who do not deserve the love of God. But God, in his mercy and in his grace, moves towards and welcomes people like you and people like me. Isn't that wonderful? No? Just me? Isn't that wonderful? It is. Of course it is. And the third one is, what does it mean for us to be a church that is on mission? What does it mean to be on a mission? So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Verse 16. Very famous verses that many of you will know. But the context of these verses, Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples and, the Bible tells us, to 500 people at one time. And now Jesus is about to ascend to be with his Father. So he calls his disciples to meet him on a mountain because he has something that he needs to share with them. Verse 16, let's read. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that here your Son tells us that he is with us always. We know that means that he is with us now. Holy Spirit, we ask, stir our affections for Jesus. Jesus, be primary in our thoughts and in our hearts, now and always. For your glory, we pray these things. Amen. A number of you, of you won't know that I used to be a police officer. I left school at 18, became a policeman at 19, and I was a policeman from 19 to 25. And when I was in the police force, before every shift, the section or the team that I worked in, we had to be in a room, and this was called like a parade room or the room where we got our instructions. And all the constables, of which I was one, we would be waiting for the sergeant or the inspector who were higher ranks to enter into the room. Because it was their job as the higher rank to come into the team of constables to give us 
under their authority, all the instructions that we needed to hear for that day. We would receive the instructions for that day, and then we received the instructions for that day, there was no questioning. There was no questioning that their authority allowed them to commission us in that way. And there was, no, there was no questioning of what they asked us to do. Why? Because of the authority that they had and what they were asking us to do. Folks, as a police officer, as a young, keen police officer, I had received from those who had the authority a mission to complete on that day. And I did it. Or at least I tried to do it. And I did it and I tried to do it, one, because of my obligation as a police officer, but also because I wanted to be a faithful officer and perform my duty well. Now in this passage, we don't have a group of policemen being briefed by their superiors. What we have in front of us is a commission, a commission for life that is given by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to his disciples and to his followers. And this commission is not just for those people on that day. This commission is for all who follow Jesus for all of time. Now this passage, and you, some of you will see in your Bibles, just that the, someone's added like a little title, and it's called The Great Commission. The Great Commission. Why is it great? It's great because of the person who commands it. It's great because of the wonder of the message that is given. It is great because of the blessings that come from a positive response to that commission. And it's great because of the scope of the mission. And it's great because, hear this, this mission will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. So what I wanted to do today is literally walk through that commission with us to remind us those of us who, are, who have been Christians for a long time, and for those of you who may have just become Christians who are not Christians, okay, what does it mean for Christians to go and tell other people about Jesus? So let's have a look at it. Number one, all authority, what does Jesus say there in verse 18? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Folks, I want us to see from the get-go, I want us to see from the get-go that the context for the great commission of Jesus to his disciples is a miracle. It's a miracle. See, the context is that the miracle of the resurrection has occurred. That Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, who died a death on a cross and died the death that we deserve, absorbing the wrath of God for our sin, has been raised from the dead. That's the miracle. A human being has been raised from the dead. And a few weeks ago, when we looked at what it meant to be gospel-centered, we looked at 1 Corinthians 15, and it said that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, was that he had conquered sin. He had conquered death. He had conquered hell. He had conquered the grave. He was resurrected from the dead. A human being has been raised from the dead, never to die again. Folks, that's the context of why Jesus is able to say, all authority has been given to me. See, it's his triumph over death that ensures the authority that Jesus says he has been given. See, Jesus has been given all authority. 
Folks, he's not just passed an exam. He's not just had an assessment board. He's not just been given a promotion by his boss. No, he has conquered the greatest enemy. And therefore, he has been given all authority over all things, all creatures, and all people. See, actually, you can see this through the Bible. If you go into the Old Testament, you can see in Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel has a vision, and the vision that he sees the Son of Man, which is a name that Jesus used for himself, a Son of Man coming through the clouds to meet the Ancient of Days, to meet, to meet sort of God the Father, to meet God the Father. And it tells us there that the Son of Man is given by the Ancient of Days dominion, glory, kingdom, and he's been given the rule and dominion over all people and all kingdoms. And all people will serve him, and that kingdom will last forever, and it will never be destroyed. A thousand years, nearly, before Jesus even came, there was a vision of Jesus receiving this authority. In John 17, verse 2, as Jesus prays to his Father, he says this to him, Since you have given me authority over all flesh... In Romans 14, it says, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that God, the Father, has put all things in subjection under his feet. And in Ephesians, it tells us that Jesus is sat at the right hand of God the Father. He is above all rule and dominion. His name is above every name. All things are under his feet. He is head over all things, and he is head of the church. Christians, can I tell you this? Jesus Christ is our commander-in-chief. He is our commander-in-chief because he is sovereign. He is our king, not because we've elected him to, but because God the Father, the Ancient of Days, has said so, and he has given him all authority. Folks, Jesus is our savior, and we love that, don't we? Jesus is our brother, and we love that, don't we? Jesus is our friend, and we love that. Jesus is our high priest. He represents us. In, with all our weakness, he understands us. He stands before the Father. And folks, those things are true. Those things are right. Those things give us hope. Those things enable us to understand what it is to be his people. But we need to know that Jesus also is our Lord and Jesus also is our King. He has all authority over all things. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, it doesn't really matter what comes next, <laughs> does it? If Jesus is your king, and he has been given all authority over all things, and you say he is my Lord, it doesn't really matter what comes next. If he takes, says, take up your cross and follow me, you do it. If he says, give up everything and give it to the poor, you do it. If he says, go across to the other side of the world, we do it. If he says, we plant churches, we do it. Folks, can I say this? Even if he says, ride unicorns and hunt umpalumpas, we do it. Why? Because all authority has been given to him. He's the commander-in-chief. He's the king over all things. So the context is a miracle of the resurrection. And then the commission is given by one who has all authority over your life and over mine.
And then what does he say? Go therefore, verse 19, and make disciples. So in his authority, and because of his authority, Jesus commands us to go and make disciples. And because of who he is, we are to respond. Therefore, because of who Jesus is, what he has done, what he says, we are as we go, as we live, are told to make disciples. The word go there also means as you go. So as you travel. So it's not like a, uh, 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 I stand in front of someone, right, I want you to go and do this. Okay, that's the only thing that I do. That's my, my, my sort of, that's what it is. No, what they're saying is as you live your life. As you live your life as a husband, as a father, as a, as, a, as a wife, as a friend, as a colleague, as you do the normal things of life, as you go, make disciples. What Jesus is saying is, under his authority, he wants those who call him Lord to make the priority of their mind, the priority of their heart, should be to make contact with people so you can share the good news of Jesus with him so that they become disciples of Jesus. See, when I was in the police, I received my instructions. And folks, because I was very keen, it dominated my thinking for the 10 hours. It did. I wanted to arrest as many people as possible. I was one of those policemen, all right? I confess that to you now. I apologize to many of you for that, but I was one of them. If you moved, right, you must have done something. You look guilty in the van. I was given my instructions, and I did it with a keen approach. It shaped how I did my day. It shaped how I ran my shift. So if I am a follower of Jesus, and I recognize his authority over the universe and over my life, my life then will be a life that proclaims and lives out and shows that Jesus is Lord and King. If Jesus has authority over all things, I'll then make sense of this world according to his authority, according to the good news about him, according to the full counsel of Scripture, according to his kingship. My priority under his authority as a follower of Jesus is to make disciples as I live. Not, not doing well at my job is not my priority, according to this. Not making sure I have security financially is not my priority. Not having complete, complete control or trying to have complete control to make sure my kids' lives are okay is not my primary responsibility. Priority, sorry. It's just no. My priority is to make disciples of which those little kids need to become. Because, folks, if we live under the authority of Jesus, in whom there is joy and hope in the midst of being a disciple of him, our heart is for other people to know that, and that penetrates how we live, that actually causes us, causes us, to be faithful when we work. It causes us to be faithful as fathers and mothers. It causes us to see that what our children and our colleagues and those who are around us and our neighbors need more than anything else is to know about the good news of Jesus and become a follower of him. Because when that's my priority, it trickles down. When something else is my priority, it never trickles up. It never trickles up. 
Go therefore, he says, under the authority of that I have been given and make disciples. What are disciples? Disciples are people who follow Jesus, who name Jesus as Lord and live in light of his authority. That's what it is. Folks, can I say this? Not just commitment makers. Not just commitment makers. Not just those who have prayed a prayer. Not just those who say that they're a Christian. No, those who genuinely follow Jesus. And here's the challenge. Here's the challenge for us. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, here it is. To be a true disciple of Jesus, true disciple of Jesus means that you are seeking to make disciples. You can't separate the two out. It's not the job for the pastors. It's not the job for the evangelists. It's not the job for, for the people who do the kids' ministry. No, it's the job of the Christian who is a disciple of Jesus. You can't separate the two things. Are you with me? So if you say you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus in his authority has said, as you go, make disciples. See, in Matthew 4, when Jesus calls his disciples for the first time, he goes to them. A number of them are fishermen, and this is what he says. He says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. If you follow me, he says, I'm going to transform you. I will make you something else. I will change your priorities. Your priorities will change for your life, and you no longer will have a priority of trying to catch fish. No, your priority will be trying to catch men. I will completely change that. I will transform you and give you a purpose that is far greater than the purpose that you have now. And in their case was a fisherman. See, Jesus says to them, follow me and I will transform you and make you fishers of men. So folks, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, simultaneously also means that your purpose is to make disciples that's what your purpose is the biggest film of 1999 or the year 2000 if my memory serves me right when some of you weren't even born all right was the film titanic do you remember titanic you remember that when there are when rose and jack are on the raft don't go don't go jack don't go jack okay okay you know it's all that sort of stuff and i'm like there was plenty of room on that pallet for Jack. That's all I'm saying. If you've seen the film, there was plenty of room. But one of the heartbreaking scenes of that film for me, and why it's heartbreaking is because it's true, true story. There was not enough lifeboats on the Titanic to help everybody, apparently. And what was true is that they didn't go back, many of them, to save the people who were drowning out of fear of too many getting in the boat. See, in that moment, the purpose of the fishermen, and can I say the purpose of every other human being, whether they were upper class or lower class, in that moment, their priority was to make sure as many got in the lifeboats. And it didn't happen. Cornerstone Church, if, you, if you're a Christian, we are in the lifeboats. As soon as we become a Christian, we have been saved. And Jesus says, now it is your priority to go and make sure that others get in the lifeboat as well. And it's heartbreaking, folks. It's heartbreaking to think of my own heart and my own selfishness and my own desire for comfort, that at times I don't want people to get in my lifeboat. At times, I'm not even aware that there are people who are around me perishing. 
That's why I think as a church, actually our gospel centered on Mark by Grace and our being on mission is that we want to plant churches because the bottom line, this city doesn't have enough lifeboats. People are perishing, folks. My question is, are we happy to let them perish? As we go, let us live gospel lives that are winsome and magnetic with the purpose of fulfilling the mission of making disciples and bringing people in to the lifeboat of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Go and make disciples, Jesus says, verse 19, of all nations. You see that? All nations. When I became a pastor, right, and when we were replanting Ramley's Road Chapel, I was asked a question by another pastor. So, Steve, what's the year, what's your demographic going to be? What's the demographic that you're going to reach, right? Me being an educated lad, didn't have a clue what that meant, I'll be honest with you. And I didn't understand this question, so I said to him, I actually don't understand what you mean. Now, partly I didn't understand, but partly I was also being funny because I didn't agree. He went on to say to me, well, who are you going to concentrate on reaching? Is it going to be students? Is it going to be young professionals? Is it going to be internationals? It's interesting, isn't it, that we often think like this when it comes to making disciples. Churches are often planted with a demographic of a certain kind of person in mind. We're going to reach students. We're going to reach these people. We're going here because of this. Folks, some of us even do that individually. I'll only have these kind of people in my company or in my house or back to mine after church. These people are socially awkward, so I wouldn't invite them. These people aren't, don't get me, so I won't invite them. Folks, imagine if that was the same criteria for the lifeboats. Golly, imagine. See, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, of all people, of all places. And you know when you get people from all places and all nations and all tribes and all tongues and all backgrounds and you have working class northerners and middle class southerners all coming together, you know what you get? A mess. <laughs> That's what you get. An absolute mess. But it's a wonderful mess. Because it's the mess that God through his son, in his authority, has called us to make by making disciples of all nations. See, it's always been God's intention. When he called Israel, he said, you're my treasured possession, and I want you to live in a certain way to reflect my glory to the whole world because all the world is mine. All the world is mine. Go and reach all different kinds of people. In Acts 1.8, in fact, the continuation of this same conversation, he says, look, boys, you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You, you little bang of insignif band of insignificant little Jewish boys are going to go and reach people right to the ends of the earth because that's the intention. The book of Habakkuk tells us that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Revelation tells us that one day there will be a multitude that no one can number from every tribe, tongue, and nation at the throne of the Lamb singing the praises of God. It is God's intention for Christian people to reach any human being, not any specific demographic. Amen? 
Folks, I love this city, right? I love it. I am a proud scouser through and through. Even, even more so, my roots are in the dingle of Liverpool, all right? They're right in there. Can't be any more in the middle of it. Through and through. I want the people of this community, I want this people of this city, I want scouts people to come to know Jesus. I want to hear scouts voices preaching. I want to hear scouts voices proclaiming. I want to hear scouts voices evangelizing. I want scouts voices shouting, amen, la. That's what I want. And I want scouts voices standing up and saying, you know, Jesus, he is boss. He's not only the boss, but he's boss. That's what I want to hear because I love this city. And I love the people who live in this city. I love them. But Jesus in his kindness has shown me that my vision is too small. And yes, he wants to hear scouse voices, but he also wants to hear Cockney voices. He also wants to hear Southern voices. He also wants to hear French accents, Welsh accents, different languages from different voices of different people, people who are middle class, working class, no class. He wants well-to-do people. He wants scallies. He wants those who are educated and those who aren't. He wants people with money and people who are poor. He wants people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he wants us, Cornerstone Church, to reach them. That's what he wants. Folks, the first person to become a Christian at Ramley's Road Chapel when we replanted the church was a Romanian guy. It couldn't have been any more obvious. We're going to reach the Scousers. Romanian comes in, becomes a Christian, gets saved. Amazing favor on his life, and there's now a church planter in Romania. Praise the Lord. God's vision is far bigger than ours. And folks, there are people in this room that will make you feel uncomfortable. They do. But we've been called to carry crosses when it comes to being followers of Jesus. So carry the cross, step in, welcome people in Christ, whoever they are. The priority is his authority. And the priority is making disciples. We go under his authority to all the world. And for some of us, that will be getting on the, the plane. But for some of us, that will just be knocking on the neighbor's door. Why? What, and what do we save them to? It then goes on, doesn't it, verse 19? And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. I want people to publicly nail their colors to the mast. I want people to publicly say, yes, I love Jesus. And actually, I want people to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that you recognize that your old self has died with Jesus on the cross, but actually, as he raises from the dead, we also are raised in newness of life with the hope and assurance that we will never, never die. We will live for an eternity. See, see folks, we have been so blessed at Cornerstone Church to see many, many baptisms. And you, you get this frustration from me. You get it, and I know, and I apologize for it, because I feel terrible every time. But when we mention baptisms, the enthusiasm in here, at best, is underwhelming. <laughs> These are people who've come from darkness into light. Can I say this? Never take for granted that we attend a church where people get saved and people get baptized. Please, let's never do that. Please. Let's just be excited. Be buzzing. Folks, this week, a dear brother in Christ left this world to be with Jesus. Praise the Lord that that family and us as a family have a video of him saying, Jesus is my Lord. He knows the Lord, he knew the Lord, and now he's with the Lord. Praise him. 
praise him for that. Let's never take that for granted. And as Paul said, the agency of what it is. And we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Folks, as we seek to disciple people, we need to have clarity on what it is to be a Christian. Clarity on the Trinity. Clarity on, not that we can get full clarity on the Trinity, just to throw that out. But Father, Son, and Spirit. We praise a risen Savior who is fully God in full glorious communion with his Father. And they love each other in and through the Spirit. And the Spirit has been given to us so that we are united to the Son in order to enjoy the presence of the Father. We baptize in Father, Son, and Spirit, not in anything that is ambiguous, something that is clear, and someone who is clear. My question is, have you been baptized? Have you? If you haven't, come and see us next week. If you profess the name of Jesus, we'll baptize you. Amen? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, the goal of being a disciple maker is that we teach people to observe, to keep, and to obey what Jesus has commanded. See, the issue is this. How... Can we be on mission, truly, if we don't observe, keep, and obey the commandments of Jesus? How can we? Let me begin here. All scripture, all of this, is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for us all today. Amen? Do you believe that? Yeah. It's profitable for us today. And all of this points to Jesus. All the Old Testament points to him. All the New Testament points to him. Because the story is all about him. So the whole counsel of Scripture that is profitable for today find its yes and amen, its conclusion. It is summed up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And within Scripture, there are clear ways of living of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. There are things that are prescriptive, very clear. There are things that are descriptive, and we've got to consider and think about the implications of our lives as disciples. But when Jesus says, teach them all that I have commanded you, Jesus is talking about the whole counsel of Scripture, what it means to live as a Christian, what it means to be in the context of community. But what Jesus taught his disciples was the summing up of all of that. Observe all that I have commanded you. And what did Jesus command his followers to do? To live sacrificial, loving lives. That's what he commanded them to do. He says all the commands are some, some, uh, summed up in this. Love God, heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus said, I have not come to be saved, but I've come to save you. Jesus said, you know that the leaders of the Gentiles, they, they lord it over their people, but it won't be like that for you. Because Christian ministers save others. And Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and by this will all men know that you are my disciples. What do we teach people? What do we show people? What did Jesus command? Teach them to love people sacrificially. 
Teach them to love people. And never, I think, in my lifetime have we needed to know that more than today. Folks, we are selfish. We are self-centered. And we make all sorts of excuses. And we even baptize those excuses. When Jesus says, love people sacrificially. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. That was a demeaning thing to do, but he did it because he loved them. We don't only teach people to love people sacrificially, but we also teach them to love truth. To love truth. The truth of the word of God. See, true love for people is grounded in love for the truth of the gospel. See, part of sacrificial love is being willing to risk them loving you because you love them enough to share the truth with them. Do you see that? Whether that's the truth of you don't know Jesus, you need to know it. Or whether that's the truth is you're isolating yourself and you need to be involved in the community of God's people. Because that's where blessing and comfort and hope is found. You need to hear the truth. See, if we love people enough, we're willing to sacrifice them loving us in order for us to show them the love that they need to hear the truth. Are you with me? Do you get that? The question is, folks, if we want to be live under the authority of Jesus and be on mission and reach people with the gospel. The question is, do we love people sacrificially? Do you love people sacrificially with your time, with your money, with your home, with your life? See, the sacrificial love of Christians for each other that flows from a love of Jesus and the truth of the gospel is magnetic. It's magnetic. It's magnetic, folks. I can't say that anymore. We've got a non-Christian friend who said to Sean, she said, there's just something about seeing you Christian people together that's magnetic. Quote, that's what they said. By this will all men know if you are my disciples. The issue is this, folks. If we don't love each other, if we don't love each other, People can't make sense of the gospel that we proclaim to them. But when they see that we love each other, they're able to make sense of the gospel that we proclaim to them. Enough of the selfishness. Let us be sacrificial. Because Jesus, our commander-in-chief, tells us to do that. Amen? Amen. And as we go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And this is the wonderful thing. What does he say? I am with you always to the end of the age. How boss is that? That is boss. That means good for those from Liverpool. See, Jesus says to us, Cornerstone Church, whilst you're on mission, I'm with you. He promises his presence. I'm with you. So when it's feels awkward and it feels nervous and it feels tomorrow when you've not shared it with your colleagues that you're a Christian and you go to church and they say, what did you do yesterday? And you're like, oh, Jesus is there with you. He's like, come on, I'm with you. Tell them you went to church, just start there. Oh, did you? That's weird. Was it a funeral or something? You know what I mean? Start there. Jesus is with you. When you're talking with your neighbors and your friends and you, 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 you talk about what, what, what you did over the weekend, just know that Jesus is with you. When you get involved in conversations and with taxi drivers, somebody last night, with different people, know that Jesus is with you. He promises his presence.
We need to take heart, take heart folks, that there, there, as we're on mission, there will ne- we will never set foot in a place or find ourselves in a circumstance or speak with a person over whom Jesus does not claim authority. He has authority over those circumstances, uh, the authority over those relationships. Jesus is with us. We're not alone. Amen? He's with us. And folks, we need to take heart as we seek to be on mission that it's Jesus' idea that we're doing, what we're doing. It's not our idea. We're just living under the authority of the idea of Jesus. So a few things. This is what we need to work out in this culture. Our faith is not a private faith. Okay, it's not a private faith. So if that's how you live your life, if that's how you communicate what it is to be a Christian, okay, I want to encourage you Put a full stop to that now and recognize that your faith is public. It's public. So don't be afraid because Jesus is with us. And don't be um, put off by the culture. Well, that's okay for you. Keep that to yourself. No. Our faith, our proclamation, our gospel message needs to be as public as anything else. Be encouraged that ultimately everybody is accountable to Jesus. They're not accountable to you. Amen? That's freeing, isn't it? Be encouraged that it's actually Jesus who does the saving. Not us. That's encouraging, isn't it? Amen. And be encouraged that Jesus said he's going to be with us to the end of the age. So we have confidence that the mission will succeed. Amen? Amen. So... Very quickly, as I close, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Because I don't want you leaving today. Because the danger is leaving beaten up, all right? I don't want anyone going beaten up. Oh, my word, I'm a terrible Christian. I'm a disciple. I've never told anybody. I don't, I, I don't want you to go in that way. But I want us to feel the authority of the commission from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want us to feel that. But also recognize that he promises to be with us so he gets he gets the issues that come with that. So just a few things. I shared these last year when I preached on mission. And I did it to the screen, so there's a very good chance 98% of us can't remember. Because I wrote it, watched it, and I still can remember. So, 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 so a few things just to remind us. Okay, a few Ps. So going for here, number one, can I encourage you? Be present. Be present. Be people who are present wherever you are. Be a present person. And actually be present in the right areas. Let me explain. Because of our phones, we can know all the information about all different things. Can't we? We can know that Anthony Joshua won the world title fight last night. Instantly. We can know the latest statistics on COVID. We can know when we're allowed to travel to America. We know what's on the red list, the green list, the amber list. We know all these informations. We know what's going on. In fact, some of us, even if we're living in that world, can tell you the statistics of how many people come to church and how many churches are being planted and how many people need to hear the gospel. We can know all the information from all the situations all around the world, but the issue and the question is, do you know your neighbor's name? See, being present is asking yourself the question, where can I truly be an agent of change for the gospel? Where can I truly be an agent of change for the gospel? Because most of us are not going to be given a global platform. 
Most of us are not going to be given a platform to be agents of change for Jesus that are going to completely change the world. But we are given a platform and a, a sphere of influence amongst our family, our neighbors, our colleagues, our local community. We need to lift our heads and have more interest in the real issues that are going on in our streets, that are going on in our community, and be agents of change for the gospel of Jesus there, to be more present than we are on our news feeds. Now, I'm not knocking. I think there's a place for that, a place for that. But actually, where we are, real agents of change for the gospel is in the rough and ready of everyday life. Are you with me? So be present. Be present. The next one is be persistent. Be persistent. We live in a day and age where I think we, we're encouraged to move on to the next thing as quick as possible. You know what I mean? But we want to be persistent. Keep going. Keep drinking in the same coffee shops. There's a bit of a joke that if you walk into being there coffee, it's Cornerstone Church. True. In fact, the owner said to me one day, just laughing, he said, if your church went under, my business would go under. Right? I was proper encouraged by that. Why? Because that's a local coffee shop. And there's others down the road, and we do coffee, people like to have coffee. If we persistently go there, conversations begin. Opportunities arise. Be persistent. Be persistent with, with friends, with people. Be persistent in how we love each other. Be persistent with, with folks that are, are difficult at times to love. Be persistent. Be loving. Be sacrificial. Be persistent because others will see who do not know Jesus. And our purpose of loving them is because we love them, but also we can't separate our being a disciple and making disciples of the same thing at the same time. So be persistent. The next one, can I encourage you, be patient. There's a lady sitting in this room that my wife prayed for for 15 years, and in June she got baptized. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Be patient. Some of you have been praying for your husbands, your kids. Keep praying. Be patient. I'm just thankful that God moves in his time, not in mine. Even in this area. Let us be patient. And let us trust that God is working according to his time. But I want to encourage us to be prepared. Be prepared. One way of being prepared is reading your Bible, going alongside somebody in your gospel community, saying, can you help me in this? Being prepared to tell people, why you love Jesus. Be prepared to give an answer and a defense for the hope that is within you. Be prepared for that. Be prepared that Jesus will give you those opportunities. So be prepared. Next one, make it a priority. Why? Because Jesus, the King, has commissioned us to make it a priority. Make gospel community a priority, folks, please. If all men know that we are his disciples, if we love each other, we need to be in context where we need to be loving each other. We need to be. To isolate because life is difficult is not good for you and it's not good for the church. Because actually that's where you get support, that's where you get love and there are people in this room that can testify to that. Can I encourage you, please, step in. Love people sacrificially. Allow others to love you sacrificially. If you are praying, Jesus, provide for me. Jesus is saying, I do provide for you through my body. That is the church. Why are you ignoring? Why are you ignoring? So make it a priority. But make, make sharing the gospel a priority. Ask Jesus. 
to give you opportunities every day. And even if you don't take them, even if you don't take them, and at the end of the day, you're like, I'm sorry I didn't take them, he'll be like, it's fine, I'll give you another. Make it a priority. Next one, practice. Just give it a go. Just give it a go. If you find it hard to love people and invite them over to go for coffee, just do it. Practice. It might go pear-shaped. It might be the most awkward conversation you ever had, but it will be blessed. Practice. And finally, and the most important, let's pray. Let us pray. Before the service starts, we met a quarter to ten. We prayed, and people prayed for people. Names. People that I don't know, some of them, who aren't Christians. And we prayed that they would come and that they would be saved. We also prayed for other people in the church. We prayed. If God doesn't show up, if Jesus doesn't do his work, people won't get saved. So we need to pray. We need to ask him about our week. Pray regarding our, our weaknesses. We need to ask him to give us strength to embrace our weakness. We need to pray. Sean's getting a couple of mentions this morning, but Sean always says this. We aren't missional because we don't pray mission. We aren't missional because we don't pray mission. If our prayers are more missional, we will be more missional. It's true. Make the priority of your prayer life a life that glorifies him and a life that glorifies him is a life that is also simultaneously is a life that is on mission. Folks, Jesus, in all his authority, says to us, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I promise, he says, that I will be with you to the end of the age. We are gospel-centered. We are marked by grace. Folks, till Jesus comes back or takes us home, we will be on mission. So let's start bringing people in. Let's start praying. Let's start inviting. Let's start loving sacrificially for his glory and for their good. Amen. Please stand with me. Can I ask you, if you're comfortable, to open your hands as though you're receiving something? And we're going to pray now that God, in and through the Holy Spirit, will help us see our weakness in this area, our failure in this area, and ask Him to fill us, fill us with the confidence and the strength and the boldness that only comes from him to be people who seek to share the gospel with others. Let's also, as we pray in your own hearts, pray for those people that you're thinking about now. Those neighbors, those family members, those colleagues. And for those of you who aren't Christians, who are standing here, can I ask, please, put your trust in Jesus. Thank him for what he's done for you on the cross. Thank him that he rose again so that you can have newness of life. Put your trust in him. Ask him to your heart. 
and then step into life with Jesus. Become a disciple and go make disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that you've saved us and you've brought us to yourself according to your grace and your mercy in and through the death and resurrection of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've saved us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you and we praise you that you have all authority over all things, that you, our friend and our brother, is also the king of all things. And we submit to your authority. We are safe in your and under your authority. And we ask that by your spirit, you would strengthen us in our weakness to be bold for you, our King and our Lord. And as we pray for that, we ask, Lord, that by your spirit, you will save the people that we are thinking of now. That you miraculously will bring people from darkness into light from death to life. I pray, Lord, that we would help us as we pray these things to be present with those people. We ask, Lord, that we will be persistent in our love for each other and for those people. That we will be patient in your timing and that we will pray. I pray, Lord, that as one of the leaders of this church, that we truly will be a church that's on mission, not just a church that puts it on the website. Help us to embrace each other and love each other. Help us to truly love each other in a way that others look in and see that we are the disciples of Jesus. And through that, we ask that people will come to know you. And Father, for those who are here who do not know you this morning, I ask, Lord, that they would thank you for what you've done for them. Ask for forgiveness for their rejection of you and ask that you would come into their heart in and through the spirit and make them new that they also will be followers of you Lord Jesus we love you we thank you and we do all of this for your glory our hearts for the lost people, break our hearts for the lonely people, break our hearts for those who are desperate, break our hearts for those who are oblivious, Lord, that they are going to help, forgive us that they are oblivious to the fact that we have possession of the greatest news in the world, help us reach them, we pray, accept of our praise, accept of our worship. We pray this in your name.